Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casello, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, oof, Dior Johnson Brunch week. edition. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is a, a weird, uh, like, two days after we normally record, or we recorded uh, a couple days ago, so uh, kind of the same week, but uh, the Wake Forest team happened last night, and it was uh, super weird, and... Uh, Fun, but also a heart attack. Yeah. Um, this has been like a thing for years, but SU's kind of got to stop with the uh, just random touch fouls. Um, teaching our uh, big men how to not foul players for no reason uh, would be ideal. I mean, again, this is nothing new for us, but I do feel like last night in particular, um, I was like keeping an eye on it, especially in the second half and seeing like Sidibe just actively – just like move right into a guy as he's like going up for a layup and like making incidental contact, but enough to draw the foul every time. Like it's stuff like that, 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 that I do think that Syracuse really needs to like from a coaching perspective, hone in on that aspect because against teams better than Wake Forest, like, and we've seen it happen re- recently, especially with the Clemson game, like having those fouls pile up and having this really short on big men late, um, SU almost paid the price uh, against the Deacons, and it would have been—I wouldn't say a dagger to the season, but but it would have made everything infinitely harder um, for this team to be able to get itself to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean that was a game that had we lost it, like you're really up against the brink. You're probably having to pull out, you know, maybe both of those games against the ranked teams down the stretch, uh, or win the ACC tournament. Like you can't lose a weight game when you're, when you're coming out of a big hole, like you could afford like a Clemson team. It's not a terrible team. Even if the record's not great, you can afford some other things like wake is among the worst teams in the ACC. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think a large part of the struggles down the stretch last night were because of the, the foul issues, obviously uh, the things had kind of come off the wheels had kind of come off a little bit before that. But um, like you said, it, we we've known all all season that it's been an issue for for uh, Sidibe and and Marek especially. Um, Gary last night I think had two fouls that were like seventy five feet away from the opposing basket. Um, just stuff like that. Like I mean, you can pin it on coaching, but like it, it's I I don't even know like if that's a thing that you should need to have to spend like practice time on. It's very obvious. Um, and between that and like the other classic. Uh, move especially for Sidibe of like the light touch fouls under the basket when you have no chance of stopping the play and like just just let let them dunk it it's fine like I just they're too valuable especially with like Sidibe playing better lately um and Marek turning in I mean he was not great yesterday but like turning into a real offensive weapon like we need them on the court for more than just their fouls so when they're you know 40% of their fouls are on these touch things that have no positive impact at all or not preventing baskets um it's just a mess. So I guess the upshot is like Jesse Edwards uh, came in and gave us really, really good minutes and looked, um, I mean, I think he looked like a little bit like a, a deer in headlights at first, but he really rounded into form and made some big defensive plays. Uh, and it, you know, he did pick up 2010 minutes, but by the time like there, he could be, afford to be a little more aggressive. Um, obviously Bryson Dodine made the team winning basket played, I think re- pretty solid defense that there's a reason he was in there ahead of uh, Washington in the situation that he was. Um, so it's nice to see those guys get a chance to play like really meaningful, like crucial minutes and step up and, and do pretty well. And hopefully um, we see more of them, if only to like spell them, uh, spell the other guys uh, in spots where we think we can um, 
especially if there's foul trouble earlier on. But yeah, it, it's uh, we're not going to be able to escape with wins against better teams if if we're uh, rolling out like weird lineups at the end of the games because you know all of our major front court players are out of the game. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this a little bit um, all season, all last season, the season before, of like you can't necessarily run your uh, starting five into the ground um, and, and expect quality results as the season wears on. So like you said, it was nice to see some more minutes. I mean, Gary has been breaking out now for a couple of weeks, so it's great to see him, you know, well, it would have been great to see more of him. He scored 13 points, got to the line a bunch. He was seven of eight uh, from the free throw line, So, and it was driving inside and really doing a nice job. Um, of, of getting SU those extra, you know, buckets. So it was nice to see him um, in there more. It was nice to see Edwards, even though the circumstances that got Edwards in the game weren't ideal. Um, I, I would like to see, even if it's just for a few minutes, just those guys kind of spelling the starters. You know, you, you brought up the Sidibe thing. I, I think this is kind of, you know, the result of what happens when you have to deal with more projects. Um, not that SU, this is, like, this is not the first time that SU's had like a project at center. I think that's been the case for a lot of time, but there's usually a, a, an established starter um, in front of them. I think the center position is also changing so much in basketball lately too, but like the zone itself is going to put centers in foul trouble because of how it's supposed to function. You know, you're, you're actively pushing shooters outside. So either a, they're going to be taking more outside shots um, and hopefully missing them or B um, you're going to be forcing them um, into the middle. And when SU's had shut down centers like Rick Jackson, Fab Mello, Arunze uh, Anawaku, uh, Rocky and Christmas um, and many others, you know, guys who are who are great at the position, um, you can kind of mitigate the foul trouble a little bit when you have guys who are still kind of coming along at the spot. I mean, ideally, Dolajai is not a five, but he's had to play a lot of it this year. Um, CD Bay is, is still a project in many ways. I think Edwards still has some, you know, time that, that he's going to need. Uh, John Ball Ajak uh, is going to be the same way. Like, they're guys that don't necessarily have the same kind of like heads up play when it comes to, to fouls. And I, I feel like that's increasingly coming back to bite us and, a, you know, a good free throw shooting team and any team with a good center um, like wake is obviously able to exploit it. Other teams have been able to exploit it. Um, and I think you're going to see more and more of it because they understand that, that there are centers um, and, and big men in general can't necessarily um, avoid that incidental contact. And that's a bummer because obviously like Dolajai in particular is, um, you know, the straw that stirs the drink on offense, I, I would contend. I know Elijah Hughes is is a dynamic scorer. Um, I know that, you know, Buddy Beheim is, is really, you know, come on since the, the you know, start of the year, uh, well, start of this calendar year. But um, Dolajai, I think, is really, as a distributor, as a scorer, I think when he's able to get inside, when he's able to get to the line, um, when he's able to, you know, put other players in position where they can cut to the basket, I think that's when when, when this offense is at its best. Um, and that's really what's been lacking the last few games now as SU started to struggle um, shooting both from outside and, and from inside the arc. Yeah, I think uh, maybe the upshot is that like Edwards seemed better equipped to like foul when he needed to, but let things go uh, than, than our older guys, which uh, I don't know what that says about um, the front court as a whole. But um, I will say like even in the first half when it looked like the fouls could start to pile up, I was kind of hoping we would get him in there just at least to like spare some minutes, especially when we were rolling against Wake Forest. Um, I, I think Bayham's gotten better about being a little looser with his uh, rotations and and getting Washington in, getting good in, in here and there. Um, but I would like to see it a little bit more before, like, the actual foul trouble piles up, especially when we do open up, like, a lead. Like, obviously, we, we gave up that lead pretty quickly, I think, twice. Um, but I, I don't know that having 
uh, Edwards in there for a couple minutes just to like keep Barama out of trouble um, would have really exacerbated that any more than it, you know it, it's just kind of a thing that that happens. This team is obviously runs happen in basketball, but this team seems particularly susceptible to them. Um, I think we've blown ten point leads in like almost every win in the ACC this year. It's it's not uh, ideal and like record um, time too. Yeah, this one was like we were up sixteen, down to like up six in in what felt like four possessions. Like it was, it was really rough. Um, but overall, I mean, I think uh, ultimately, I think the fact that the young guys were in there at the end and that the the just the rotations we were playing were so weird, and well, it wasn't even a rotation at the end. It was just like the guys that we could have. Uh, plus, Ice Washington was on the bench, but um, having such a weird lineup in there down the stretch and playing like relatively well and and getting resting control back from Wake Forest. Um, I think made this a little bit easier to swallow because it did end up being such a dramatic finish versus just like had we just kind of like uh, cruised to the finish but but one by four or something. Yeah, I mean, in general, just a really weird game um, for those who might have missed it last night. Um, probably none of you, but just in case. Um, SU was down a little bit early, uh, went on a huge run um, to put themselves up nuts. a bunch. In the first yeah, half. Buddy went absolutely nuts. Yeah, as as happens when we go on these runs, where really, yeah, the second Buddy is able to hit from three, it opens up so much else for, for the rest of the offense. Uh, so we really like took control of the game at one point. They started chipping away, kind of as foul trouble started piling up um, for Gary in particular at the end of the first half. So we only went into halftime with a thirty-eight to thirty lead. We built the lead back up to fourteen. Um, the early four, like the first four minutes of the second half. Um, Wake, as Dan mentioned, eliminated that in no time flat, um, then took the lead. Uh, then somehow, despite our bigs fouling out, um, SU managed to claw back. Um, Elijah Hughes looked great uh, down the stretch. And yeah, Edwards missed. Um, and Goodine was able to put it back in with a, a second and a half left. And that got us a 75 to 73 win, despite the fact that we were largely outplayed for the final 16 minutes of the game. Yeah, it's, uh, it, I don't know. It was just like such a weird way to, just the fact that Dunian was, was standing there under the basket in like a very strange place for our, uh, I guess he would have been like our two guard at the time to be. Um, it just all wound up uh, being kind of miraculous. Um, really incredible, incredible finish of the game. And, I guess you'll you'll just kind of take it. Like we just need wins at this point uh, to to keep on rolling and and uh, you know not going to to take any wins out uh, at this point. But d- would like to get back to where we. I know we were still like blowing leads and stuff, but I would like to get back to that like five game winning streak series where we actually looked a little more confident and it was against better teams. Um, and we were winning games. Exactly. We were winning games. Um, <laughs> but to break the two game little like skid we were on, I think uh, we will certainly take it. Yeah, I mean, we'll get to NC State in a second. This definitely doesn't give me some great vibes uh, for the NC State game. Um, also, I think we're going to go back to not pointing out the player that it could light us up um, since we almost willed something into existence once again uh, after mentioning uh, Ismail Masood um, on the podcast he had, like, the other day. Yeah, two giant shots. Yeah, two giant shots, including the one to tie it at 73 um, in the final he also, minute. He also made so. the play that might have lost Wake the game where he, for some reason, even though he's apparently basically a, a – uh, you know, stand-up jump shooter, tried to drive into like the heart of our defense and fumble the ball away to Buddy. <laughs> right, I think that was right before, the, uh, right before the right before our game-winning shot. Yeah, so maybe not the worst thing, I guess. Uh, <laughs> uh, also disconcerting, I suppose, is the fact that, um, you know, Buddy Bayheim and Elijah Hughes were kind of the entire offense. Um, 
Elijah didn't have a great shooting day, but made, was able to get to the line. I, I felt like while Gerard was really the, I mean, not to like just hammer him. I feel like Gerard really has been kind of rough in ACC play um, since January. And I feel like in particular in this game, he looked poor for, for some decent stretches. Um, but I felt like him and Elijah were pretty uh, careless with the ball um, in the second half. And that's kind of what helped set up the run. I'll forgive it on Elijah's end though, because I mean, he had four blocks in the game, which was every one of them. It was a really nice athletic play. Um, and I think, it, you know, if you're looking at Elijah's potential draft stock for this coming year and I've already resigned myself to him leaving. Um, I think the blocks are something that is that are absolutely on NBA teams radars um, because you usually don't see somebody playing the three um, able to, I, I think block shots w- w- with, with this frequency. And we saw a little bit of it last year too. We saw it in the NCAA tournament against Baylor, um, but it's, it's an aspect to his game that you can't necessarily um, get out of a lot of guys in that position. Yeah, especially he just seems to have like that really innate uh, knowledge of like how to how to get all ball. He very rarely has like chippy ones where you know fouls can be called on them when he goes up for them. He blocked a uh, Sar, who was like the biggest guy on the court, illegit seven footer, um, comes out of nowhere, like has really good timing on it. So it's definitely a nice aspect to his game. Um, it might be a little harder to translate to the NBA just because there'll be less zone, obviously. So you're not going to have like the backside opportunities, but. Um, uh, you know, they talked about three and D guys. Obviously, Hughes, he's not like, you know, a, a, a total lights out shooter, but he has NBA range, I think. Um, he's willing to take him. He's willing to be aggressive and to add like some really solid uh, defensive capability that I think will translate um, better than a lot of the Syracuse guys do. And I know that's always a talking point for better or for worse. Um, I think I could see him finding some kind of role, even if he's like, obviously, you know, Tyus has struggled to, to break into the NBA itself. Um, and he is probably the better athlete and the better like one-on-one player. But I think Elijah's uh, game might be more well-rounded uh, and to, to get him like to sneak into the second round, maybe. Yeah. I mean, right now projections have him like kind of floating like the mid to early second round. Now um, I don't know if he plays his way up into the first round. I think there's just a really weird draft. And I think that's something we'll get into like um, around like NBA finals time or, or a little bit after we start talking draft. I know everyone's overjoyed. There's so few NBA fans uh, in the Syracuse fan base, I feel, aside from Dan and I. <laughs> but <laughs> at the same time, definitely something of interest. Um, actually, the Wizards are running zone almost 10% of the time. So yeah, I, I did like see the that. Wizards draft in. <laughs> the Wizards draft in, maybe Elijah Hughes has a spot. Yeah, normally not a team I would like hope my uh, players are drafted to, but I guess... Uh... It, hasn't, it hasn't worked out in the past. <laughs> um. No, I think it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I too expect him to leave. I mean, he'll, I assume he's graduating this year. He's been, he's a four year college player. People obviously forget the ECU year. Um, yeah, I mean, even if I don't think he has like a ton else to prove. Um, and like once a guy graduates, it's really hard to blame him for going. Like it's hard. I, I don't blame anyone for going ever. But even if you're like a more like a conservative, for lack of a better word, uh, college fan who wants to see their guys like stick around. Once they graduate, I, I don't know what you're hoping for there. Uh, obviously, if Elijah wants to come back and, and work on his grad degree and play for a fifth year and hopefully make a tournament run, if he like feels like he needs he wants to to take the extra season and and try to put together like a really good winning campaign, I'm f- fully supportive of that as well. That'd be awesome. Um, but I, I I also think like with situations like this, even with Tyus last year, I don't I think our fan base has gotten better about um, understanding these when they when they make a lot of sense. Like, I don't remember a lot of like backlash Tyus last year, especially cause he, I guess part of that was because he gave us like a one more year than we expected in the first place. But right. um, no, I don't think, I don't think there'll be 
like a huge thing if Hughes leaves. Yeah, I think people have gotten better about it. You're right. I think like I saw like even after Electrician Jackson declared as a surprise in football, uh, there weren't really a ton of people that were that were pissed off about. It. I mean, I was I was surprised by it. I, I do think that like this is a tough wide receiver class to break through the NFL in. Um, just based on how good the talent level is in the draft. But again, that's something we'll get into around the NFL draft um, for Jackson. Um, he, he's had similar taste to Hughes where he transferred in. Right. Um, you know, he kind of broke out later in his career. Uh, so it, like, once a guy's been in college for four years, like I totally get the, like, even if it doesn't work out uh, to exactly how I want it to, like sometimes you're just overplaying in college and you want to go get paid in some respects and that's totally fine. Yeah, completely. And and really, like right now, like who knows how long the XFL is going to be around. Um, if, if it manages the last couple of years, like you can find yourself a paycheck um, potentially beyond just the NFL. Um, in, at the NBA level, for basketball, there's obviously so many other opportunities for you to make a lot of money playing basketball, um, either stateside or abroad, G League, NBA, um, ton of other options. Yeah, we, we talk about it a lot. I, I always find it hilarious that people are like, you know, kind of NBA or bust. And like, I get it, but like, go ask Andy Routens if you see him walking around Camillus, if he's like really upset to be pay, making six figures to play in like Spain every year. I think he's probably okay with it. <laughs> oh yeah. A hundred percent. And you know what? Like for, for anyone like doubting that I, I know there's always, you know, other parts of these circumstances, but I do think that like, you know, for every guy that sticks around for three or four years and, and because they did, they played themselves into the lottery. There's another guy who stuck around a year too long, and and played themselves like I mean Tyus Battle case in point like love Tyus love everything he did for SU but I'd argue a tie like Tyus was a fringe first rounder if he had gone after his sophomore year and after his junior year he wasn't drafted so like there are far more stories of that happening than the guys who who play themselves into the lottery yeah it's it's you almost always want to strike when the iron's hot if your ultimate goal is to go as high as possible and you know that you know that doesn't always work out we've seen high um, I mean, we've seen the difference between like high uh, tr- lottery picks bust because they landed in a really bad situation and wind up. I mean, we're starting to see now like more guys get cut by their teams in the first couple of years of their contract. And uh, looking at a guy like Marquise Chris, who's finally starting to like kind of figure out an NBA career here. And what was he a top top five or six pick, you know, three or four years ago. Um, and now he's going to be on like his third team. It's something it, there's no there's no exact science unless you're a I mean, unless you're like a, a no doubt. Uh, type of player like LeBron, like there's, there's really no exact science to figuring out what the the definite right move is, and it it becomes more uh, more difficult with you know the the one year in college thing because now you have like this fan base to contend with and making that decision and and sticking out for nine months or whatever. It's it's all very tricky. So I, I again, I always think the best thing to do is just respect people making their own their own decisions for their lives, even if you in your heart of hearts, do not believe it's the right one. Like none of us have the right to, uh, to really yell at people on Twitter over that. It's just not the right move. And you're not helping your school at all because other recruits will see that stuff. Agreed. Agreed. Um, before we get to halftime, why don't we uh, hear from our sponsor quick and we're back. Um, we're actually just going to talk about the NC state game a little bit too, um, before we talk about beer, football, uh, et cetera. So NC state, a uh, quick turnaround for Syracuse here. Um, obviously we just played on Saturday night. Um, and now we will be playing on Tuesday night, um, against NC state, NC state does their usual. They're never bad. They're kind of pesky. Uh, they're six and six in league play. So they're a game back of us. Um, they're probably one of the teams that we'd be in competition with for an at large bid. 
uh, though I'd say they're probably a step or two ahead of us. Maybe I haven't looked at recent projections. I know they've played uh, some good teams like Memphis and Auburn close. Um, they've lost some weird Wisconsin. games. Yeah, beat Wisconsin. Um, they've got they're split against Clemson. They've got a win over Notre Dame, which we do as well. They have a very similar uh, ACC yeah. record to us. Obviously, we haven't played Louisville yet. They haven't played Duke yet. Um, but like their wins, uh, like their, their grouping of wins and losses is very similar. Fair. They they lost to Georgia Tech. We blew out Georgia Tech. So that's a. a we do nice another game against Georgia Tech, however. Yes, that's true. They have two more against Duke, a Florida State game. Uh, what looks like a resurgent UNC team, a BC team that suddenly looks competent. Like they're the back end of the schedule for NC State looks actually pretty tough. Um, not like ours is really all that better, but um, I do think theirs might be a little more perilous. So they probably need this win a ton. Obviously, if we could, um, you know, pick up this win even at home, and I feel like we've played not as good at home of late. Um, if we could pick up this win, I would feel a hell of a lot better going into the Florida State Louisville games because not that we can. We, we, we talked about this last week, right? By last week, I mean like two days ago. Um, if yeah, if, if Syracuse loses both of those games and you have to pick up a win against Duke, Florida State, or Louisville in the ACC tournament, um, but obviously you're much more likely to get in with just one of those wins in the ACC tournament or here if you beat NC State. Um, I, I think SU can afford to lose one of NC State, Georgia Tech, Pitt, BC, Miami. Like, does that seem like a stretch? No, I think I think they have. If they beat one of Florida State, Louisville, I think they have a loss to give. Um, if they beat both of those, they probably have two losses to give. Um, I think the wins. I think just getting the like big win uh, box of our resume checked off is like a lot bigger than like what else, what happens otherwise. Obviously, you can't go like lose a bunch of games, but. Um, I think like losing a random ACC game or two isn't that big a deal. The problem is when you do that and you don't pick up any of the big wins. I think like the biggest factor right now is those the, the back-to-back at Florida State at Louisville games, and it would have been the Duke game if we had pulled that out. So um, as if we assume if and not that we're assuming this will happen, but if we're like working under the the like projection that like we will find a win of those two, then like if you lose to NC State, it's not the end of the world, but you obviously are in much better position if you like really go on a run and maybe only lose one of these non-ranked team games down the stretch. Then I think like we'll probably enter the ACC tournament. I mean, let, let, let's see if we were to finish with a split against Florida State and Louisville, so that would get us to eight wins in conference and fifteen overall. And then you win all but one other game. That's one, two, three, four, five. Um, yeah, so we'd be what twenty and thirteen with uh, a win over a top five to ten team, uh, probably yeah. in the top four or five of the ACC, which I know doesn't really matter. The ranking doesn't matter, but no um, bad losses. No, well, yeah, I guess like Penn State's yeah. not a bad loss. They're a top five seed in the tournament, which is crazy. Uh, Iowa's probably a tournament team. Okie State uh, is. Uh, how are they looking? They're not a terrible loss, but they're not. They're not the juggernaut we let them. I mean, they're 11 and 12. Uh, that's not they are oh, they're at the bottom of the 12. 12. Yeah, that's a bad loss. <laughs> that, that, that one Let's probably... see where... And they're top 100 in... Oh, they're 75th in Ken Palm. Oh, that's... Yeah, so they're a weird team. And the Big 12 is a weird league this year. Uh, pretty deep. Uh, Georgetown's no not, not terrible. <laughs> um, aside from, like, you know, like, their soul is bad. But their basketball team is, like... It's bottom half of the Big East, but it's not, like, abysmal. 
Um, and the, yeah, there so really isn't a terrible loss on this schedule. There's no like glaring like uh, jump off the page like mid major loss here. There are a couple iffy power five losses or power six losses if we want to do the Big East that. Um, and even like you know none of none of the other games we have would be like a terrible loss in and of itself. Like George Tech wouldn't be great, but they're not they're not that bad. They've looked past in some good teams. Um, Pitt, BC, Miami, like BC is the team. I think like Clemson and Virginia Tech are two. Clemson and Virginia Tech right now don't look great because they're trending out of the top hundred. Um, BC is obviously the game that like I think BC is improving and I think they'll be top hundred or close by the end of the year. But right now they're barely inside the top one hundred and fifty for Ken Palm at least. Yeah, and you know BC is never going to like impress people until they actually like break out. So. Yeah, I mean, I think, that, again, we say this a lot of weeks just as, like, we've kind of been going down the course here, but but the picture, I think, looks pretty similar to what it's been. I think I said that three days ago when we recorded the last podcast. Yep. All right, why don't we talk some beer, and then we can talk about the NC State game, um, like, actual, like, strategy and some players. Uh, Dan, what have you been drinking this weekend? Um, I have had nothing since we last spoke, since it was only a couple of days ago, but, I yeah, I've had no beers since Thursday night. Fine. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Uh, on my end, uh, finished up the, uh, Hitchhiking Ghosts and Surfari that I mentioned last time, um, was out last night and had some, uh, Lala, uh, from State Brewing. It's a Hell's Lager. Um, and then Steve Haller from the blog sent me some, uh, Faced in Maple, um, was a, uh, maple syrup, uh, Imperial Stout from, uh, Lawson's Finest Liquids. So it was definitely an enjoyable beverage. And that was really like good it. Yeah, Lawson's uh, kills no matter what. I uh, I do. They're one of like the main breweries that like makes me wish I was on the East Coast. <laughs> and they're I, they're pretty accessible now. Like you can find uh you can find uh, some of their stuff like Sip of Sunshine. If you have like any really good beer bar in the city, you can definitely find Sip of Sunshine. Oh, I love that stuff. Anyway, um, speaking of drinking, uh, Tuesday night's game is probably going to make us drink. <laughs> um, NC State, like we said, pesky. Uh, they got five players who score nine points or more per game. Um, CJ Bryce leads the way with 13.7. Markel Johnson is 13.2. Uh, they're pretty guard heavy uh, by and large. To be honest, they're not a great rebounding team, but they do have some decent rebounding guards. Um, so that to me, I, I think that almost worries me more than having like one really good rebounder. Um, yeah, you get five, four guys that average 4.5 or more rebounds per game, but nobody that averages more than 6.3. Um, in general, they're not a great three-point shooting team, which is actually good for us. Not one player on this team, um, not even adjusting for attempts, um, hits more than 38% of their threes. So I'm still concerned, but at least that gives me some hope. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of lines up with what we said about Wake. Um Obviously, Wake didn't. What would Wake ended up shooting in the game? Uh, yeah, six of twenty-seven. They, to. Well, it wasn't good. It just like yeah, they had some fair. big ones down the stretch. Um, yeah, so I, I don't expect this to be. I, I think the 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 concern for NC State is them penetrating the zone, getting to the middle, hitting mid-range shots. Um, they do have very good guard play with Bryce and Johnson and, and Devin Daniels, who are all in double digits, as you said. Bradson Beverly is. Uh, your consummate, like, annoying point guard um, who will probably, you know, double his season average of 7.6, and he's their best three-point shooter. Um, we've seen him plenty of times. Um, they're not very big. Uh, DJ Funderburk is 6'11". He's, uh, I guess, their de facto starting center. Um, 
they have one other guy in their rotation that's uh, relatively big. Uh, I think it's not Pat Andre. It's Manny Bates. I think he sits 10. He plays about 20 minutes a game. Um, but in terms of size, like, I don't see this being a team that gives us a lot of uh, issues uh, or it shouldn't um, any more than like, you know, we shouldn't have a Vernon Terry situation where someone's just like killing our guys inside, but you can't let Thunderbird, uh get to the line too much. Um, he is a 75% free throw shooter. He's averaging 12 and a half a game. Um, and, but like you said, the rebounding, like there isn't one guy who's going to vacuum everything. It's just going to be kind of a, uh, a situation where, where it's, it's, you know, done by the, the whole team as a, as a group. Um, hopefully that means if they're crashing the boards, they're not going to try to leak out against our zone. And maybe it gives us a chance to, to get some transition buckets, maybe some easy shots for, for buddy. Um, yeah, so they're just like honestly, they're like kind of a better version of what Wake Forest was like, looked like for us, without like the huge center in the middle. That's fair. Yeah, I, I think in general, like this is like Syracuse this year. Like, there's no real like change to the game plan. It's avoid foul trouble, avoid stupid turnovers, um, and then make sure that like somebody besides use and, and Buddy Beheim get going. Uh, and, and I think if Syracuse can do those. Uh, you know, three things, then you're going to win. You're going to win most games, uh, or at least will against peer uh, competition. Uh, I, I think that NC State's probably right on par with us in terms of of talent on the roster. But yeah, that that, that the foul trouble stuff is really what worries me the most, um, just because, like you said, while there's no like you know dominant big necessarily, there's there's enough guys who can hit free throws. I mean, what? For well, actually, yeah, the top of the top, what seven guys in the rotation, all of them hit at least seventy percent uh, free throws, except for Markel Johnson, who's at fifty-eight uh, percent. So that's not a great sign uh, for Syracuse if, if if the fouls start piling up early. Yeah, you can't let you can't let the Bryces and the Johnsons like get uh, easy access to the line. Now they don't shoot a ton of free throws. I'm looking, and we've played I think the same number of games, right? We are, yeah, we've both played. Uh, 25 games so far. Um, I don't think we're like a hugely prolific team in terms of getting to the line. Uh, We have 457 free throw attempts this year. They only have 396. Um, So it's not like like they're very good when they get there. It's not like a huge, huge part of their game. So hopefully that could be if we do stupid shit. It could be if we're, if we don't do what we've been doing the last couple weeks for sure. Um, All right. Why don't we do a, a prediction here, Dan, what do you, uh, what do you see happening in this one? Um, I'm going to stay optimistic. I think it'll be in the tight one. Um, I'm going to take Syracuse to win it. Uh, let's go 73 to 70. All right. Um, I think that I'm a little concerned about the short rest because I feel like this SU team is already run to the ground. Um, obviously, NC State's been resting since Wednesday. Um, so they have a little more spring in their step. I think Syracuse is better suited to win this game, but I, I, I'm just sensing a potential hangover on the short rest. So unfortunately, I'm picking NC State to win um, 74 to 71. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think it's this is a very much – this is probably the most like coin-flippy game left on our schedule, I think. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. Like, Maybe the Miami game. Miami but... game too, but I think, yeah, I think NC State is is – like we were saying earlier, very similar resume, um, similarly constructed team for the most part, save the, I think forwards. Um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm concerned, but I'm also usually more concerned than most. Yeah. Agree. 
Luckily, we have uh, other good stuff that's happened with the basketball program this week. Yeah, why don't we talk a little bit about that, and then we'll get into a little bit of football scheduling. Um, we had some great news on Friday. We didn't think there was going to be a lot to talk about in this episode, and then a bunch happened on Friday uh, to help us out there. Uh, five-star 2022 point guard, D.R. Johnson, uh, committed to Syracuse. Um, he's one of the top five players in the uh, class for 2022. I know that seems like a long way out, and it is in many cases. Uh, however, um, this is a big, big get for SU, uh, big, big get for Jerry McNamara in particular, um, and, and just a very great sign for the Orange that they're able to attract this level of talent still. The last five-star that actually got in the door was Chris McCullough. Um, the last five-star that committed uh, was Darius Baisley. Um, and I'm sure me just mentioning his name pisses off at least a few Orange fans. Uh, Dan, what was your reaction when, when, when this news came across uh, late on Friday? Um, I was pretty surprised. I didn't know that he was set to make a commitment this early. This is like a, a Dion Waiters level, like early commitment. Uh, he's one of only two players in the entire class that's committed. Uh, the other one's going to pit randomly, um, which gives us for the moment, the number one recruiting class in the class of 2022. Um, yeah. I mean, he's, it, yeah. If he matriculates here and, and there are questions about that and I will give dear Johnson a lot of credit um, he basically came out and said, if the NBA rule changes, I'm going to look at my options. So if that happens, let's not all pretend like we're stunned by this. Like he's a, he's a one and done level player. He's a good friend of Bronny James. Um, if you watch any of his highlight videos, LeBron's in like half of them, just like watching, uh, and chatted about it on Instagram afterwards. So like, this is a player that runs in very high level circles. Um, if he does make it here, I mean, I know everyone says this, but he has promised to, uh, to, you know, he won't be the only one committing. I, I know Chance Westry, who's in that class and is like a top 20, 25 kid, uh, is supposedly visiting and it's for the UNC game and he's close with Dior. So if he makes it here, if the NBA rule doesn't change or if he decides he wants to do a year in college, um, it, it, it's like potentially like a, a game changing type recruit. Um, he would be playing, uh, I think, Joe Girard senior year. Um, so he'd miss Buddy by a year, but it should also kind of show you what the, the Bayheim timeline might be, because I don't imagine Jim is going to want to retire right before his best recruit since his arguably his best recruit since Carmelo steps in the door. Um, if you watch any of his highlights, he has like I think the player, and it's not crazy. I mean, it, it at that level, I think the player he reminds me of most is Tyree Irving, uh, with his ball handling ability. He's not like a great, great shooter yet, but he's a, he's capable, but he he gets to the rim with like impunity. He uh, has incredible creativity when he's uh, within 15 feet um, with like floaters and, and reverses and everything. So a uh, really good handle. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough not to be excited. And I, I get people were like already kind of, uh, kind of checking themselves with the NBA thing, but honestly, like if that rule changes, there are going to be teams that are way more impacted than that by us. And it would suck to lose this kid before he ever steps on campus, but there's no real upside to him not committing here. Cause like, what happens to Duke and, UNC, and, and Kentucky if, if the NBA rule changes? Like, they could lose a, a giant recruiting class, like, whole cloth. Um, so, I don't know. I think I think people should just, like, be excited. And if the rule changes, like, just keep your cool about it. But, like, we at least he's he's open about – he's been open about, like, this is a possibility. And, and if it happens, then we'll see what happens. But um, at least we won't be, like, blindsided by it. I, I just don't think that's a reason not to get excited about the possibility here. No, I, I totally agree. I, I think, like you said, SU's far from the only school that would be impacted by something like that. Um, all of college basketball would be, and a lot of, you know, top, top programs would be, we'd be impacted in a hurry by that. So, yeah, I, I think that's not a reason to avoid going after guys like this, not a reason to not get excited 
by guys like this. And yeah, if DR Johnson can bring additional, um, you know, elite talent with him, e- even better. I think what it does too is it signals to the 2021 guys that we're going in on that, you know, if they're not one and done types, that oh hey, like yeah, maybe maybe year one isn't you know a top ten program, but year two could be. Um, and, and year two could be a, a real tournament, like a real, like legitimate NCAA tournament winning threat, um, depending on who's still on campus, injuries, whatever. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm very curious to see kind of the effect this has for the 2021 class uh, in particular. So can you consider me excited? I think he's, if he ends up staying, like I, I, I consider him a point guard right now. And if he stays a point guard, I think he'd be at least the best point guard, you know, at SU since Johnny Flynn. Um, which would be great. I think everyone loves Johnny Flynn. Uh, for, for exciting. I mean, if you want to say Ennis, like I think that's an argument, but um, probably the most like flashy point card since Johnny Flynn for sure. There. Yeah, I, I, I'm definitely excited. I, I'm definitely hopeful for for the signal that this could potentially put out there for for SU going forward, and uh, we will see what happens. Um, it, like you mentioned, it, it's giant for Jerry because I think the big question. Um, about Jerry as a coach, uh, and obviously we don't get to see like what happens in practice. It, it sounds like he works incredibly hard. Everyone uh, gives him a lot of credit for like the shooting work people go through, especially Buddy this year. I know Jerry's been like instrumental in, in getting up shots with him, but for him to be the point guy, which it sounds like he was in landing our biggest recruit in a long, long time. Um, obviously, uh, we have no idea what's going to happen after Beheim eventually retires, but. There are a lot of people who want Jerry McNamara to be the guy, and I think it's mostly for nostalgic reasons. Um, if Jerry starts to turn the corner and becomes like a – I mean, there's a reason why Mike Hopkins was the guy. It's because, you know, aside from being like a program guy and a Syracuse guy and, and his recruiting, he's one of the best recruiters in the country. And if Jerry uh, starts to, like, make inroads in that in that area, then, like, you know, maybe we can start having that conversation. To this point, I've thought that the whole, like, Jerry isn't a head coach thing was – kind of ridiculous because I didn't really know what had like not to knock him at all, but like what had he done to like inherit a program, the level of Syracuse. But um, yeah, I mean, if he's going to start uh, hauling in guys like Dior Johnson, then I think that's a legitimate conversation to have. Uh, So obviously there's a lot to happen between now and then, but um, this is like the first like giant, giant recruiting win for, for Jerry and uh, good for him. I mean, that's, that's, it's a huge step. Yeah, I, I think there's over the next couple of years, I'm sure there'll be plenty of articles written about like what this this means and what potential other decisions mean uh, regarding Jerry, regarding the future of Syracuse basketball. But right now, positive signs. Um, we'll close out with uh, Syracuse football. Um, this has been something that was kind of bouncing around in the rumor mill for, I feel like, months. But um, there was a firm rumor uh, that wasn't confirmed beforehand that, uh, that SU had games against UConn. Um, so SU is going to add four games against UConn because UConn is an independent program looking for just games at any cost. Uh, for some reason, we have a two-for-two two situation where we visit UConn in 2022, um, and then UConn comes to SU in 2025 and 2026. Um, that means the 2026 schedule is done. Um, 2022 schedule just needs an FCS team. 2025 schedule, I think, is just needs, just needs an FCS as well. So we're getting out ahead of some schedules for a little bit. However... Uh, and then the 2027 schedule uh, is just at UConn right now. Um, so I'm good with um, scheduling out further in advance. I'm good with a winnable opponent because it, it, like UConn is, is, is incredibly beatable, especially, you know, after dumb comments like Randy Etzel, like Randy Etzel had the other day that we won't get into. Uh, 
I, I have some thoughts, especially considering Randy's like weird turn, like other turn the other direction recently. Um, but this was just very dumb, and I don't know what he thought he was doing positively for his program by saying that. Anyway. Uh, to, to update everyone, Randy Etzel. We wrote about this in the blog, too. Uh, Randy Etzel was talking about uh, the transfer portal, said he didn't want transfer portal players, and said that they had problems. Um, sure, man. If this is the Randy Etzel that like came out supporting like paying players like nine months ago. Like, what is going on with Randy Etzel? Is he okay? You, uh... <laughs> <laughs> like can we you check die on a him? hero or you live long enough to become a villain like he he literally put out probably the most progressive statement that a head coach in any either of the major sports aside from maybe calipari um has made in terms of paying players and then turns around and says the trans all the transfer portal kids are like like bad kids or something like it doesn't make any sense i mean i think i think this is what happens when you when you coach uconn football it's like it's it's like heart of darkness. Like he's he's stuck in <laughs> he's stuck in upstate Connecticut, just like like sharpening a knife and beating three teams a year, maybe. Perfect. Um, but yeah, I, as much as we had the positives of this, uh, I, I think the negatives are 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 also kind of there. Um, a two for two against a program that we easily could have gotten two for one, uh, maybe paid for a three for one. I think would have made more sense. Um, also, the other problem being that we get the road game first, um, and there's a possibility um, that by the time, and again, this is based on nothing like firm. This is just what I have a feeling about. Um, there's a possibility that UConn is not even an, an FBS program anymore um, by the time we get to the uh, the dates further down the road in 2025, 26, and 27, respectively. Um, but Dan, am I overreacting? Am I just pissed off for the sake of being pissed off? Or do you think there's a there's a real concern that, that UConn might not be an FBS program by the time we get to like the beat of this series? I mean, they'll they'll try to be. Uh, it's yeah, just, they'll make an attempt. It's it's like, and this is honestly like Syracuse. It's not really Syracuse's concern, but like this is going to be what year like six or seven of them being independent. We've seen UMass has been independent for about that long now. Uh, New Mexico State striking out. Uh, doing their own thing. So it's not like impossible BYU. It's not impossible. And UConn's done a nice job of crafting schedules to like get them like a feasible group, probably better schedule than they've had with the AEC in terms of like brand names, at least um, if not like actual quality, it's just like, there's definitely a universe. And by 2027, UConn's like, this is just not worth it. Um, and in that case, like what happens there if, if, if that happens a year or two years in advance, are we going to see a, a, a 2012 situation where West Virginia packed their bags and left for the Big 12 like on the last at the last possible minute, and we had to scramble to schedule Missouri, and we're going to end up with like three Power Five road games, um, something like something dumb like that, and, and then they'll probably end up being I don't know who else UConn has for that year if they have anyone else for that year by now, but um, it's just like they have North Carolina and Army, so maybe we can just us and Army can like get together for that or something, but. It's just like I I don't love putting my faith in like the UConn experiment working out long term, and I know it's a way bigger issue for them. Um, and then the two for two is just like annoying because they're they're a, they're a mid they're a, a group of five team like very definitively now. Um, they're a very bad one, uh, and maybe a little bit better by here, but by by this three game stretch, but I don't see it. Um, it's just like these are the teams you should be getting two for ones for, and I don't know why we're giving them two uh, two for twos. Um, just out of like the generosity, the, the generosity of our hearts or whatever. Um, now, getting ahead of these other schedules is a good thing. Um, FCS programs are very easy to schedule, so by all you know, 
for all accounts, like our 2022, 23, 25, uh, and then legitimately our 26 schedules are all more or less done. We need FCS for the first three of those 26. We already have a New Hampshire. So that's good. Um, and it's almost like we we did this just to like fill something in for ourselves because we know we're so bad at this. So I, I can kind of appreciate it in that regard. Um, just ideally, I think when you're facing a program like UConn, you don't want to do one for ones or two for twos. But, you know, here we are. Yeah, that, that, that's my big thing is just UConn needed us more than we needed them. Um, I, in 2022, I would say it was pretty even on that front. Uh, but the other years, uh, I would say they needed us more than, more than we needed them uh, to fill a schedule with, uh, with interesting dates. UConn is not an interesting date for us. Yeah, um, we, didn't, we didn't have a road power a road non-conference in 22 so like if this was like at 22 verse 25 verse 26 i would have like very little problem with this i think that would actually be a really nice move it's the extra road game that i just don't really get yeah like we don't yeah like it's not something that we needed to do um there's not enough elite talent in uconn in connecticut there's not enough even fbs talent in connecticut um to be able to legitimize that many games there um obviously connecticut kids can see us play plenty uh, on TV, unlike UConn uh, football, once we get to uh, once we get to next year and their independence, um, I, I think the, uh, the the part about it being easy is, is the the part that you know I, I I'm torn on. Like you said, it's it's good in some ways that it's done. It's it's bad in other ways because you know having your UConns and Liberties and UMasses out there uh, for Syracuse to just lean back on is like okay, good, they're winnable, but no to Liberty. Um, obviously. Um, and then like UMass and UConn don't really do anything for us. Um, the road games mean nothing because we already go to BC every other year. Um, and then the home games are just, they are what they are. They're, they're body bag games for the most part. So to me, like, you know, you basically end up creating like a miniature, like conference for yourself. Um, you know, with UConn potentially like Liberty, um, in the future, I could totally see SU doing that as much as I'd rather they didn't. And most other SU fans would rather they didn't, um, and then, you know, UMass, if needed, like, it just doesn't seem like a great, it's an easy way to get people a little, like, just nonplussed about about the schedule. Like, obviously, non-exciting teams are going to do that in general, but if you win, nobody cares. But even, even with wins, if you're going to put the same, you know, body bags on the schedule every year, uh, I'm sure that does start to turn off, um, you know, local fans that could potentially find something else to do. <laughs> Yeah, and we know that they will find something else to do with the first drop of the hat. <laughs> Indeed, it is something that they uh, that they, they excel at. They're not the only ones. Um, attendance is down throughout college football, as uh, as fans find other things to do than sit around for four hours at a stadium. Yeah, I mean it's definitely a bigger issue than just for Syracuse, but you know there, there there's a reason why a bunch of other schools, especially like SEC schools, are starting to turn the tide and like really schedule up. And I think part of that's uh, projecting that the playoffs going to expand and which takes like hard schedules becomes uh, a much bigger deal. Uh, right now, if you like went out, you're probably in if you're a, a power five and, and that, you know, if it expands to six or eight, like schedule matters a, a lot more. So you're seeing SEC programs really, really schedule up. Um, and obviously that's not the position we're in. So I don't really want to do that, but um, yeah, it's, it's uh if the, if the benefit is like increased attendance or whatever, like I, I kind of get the, uh, the notion there, but overall, like I'd still, you know, we have Notre Dame games coming up on the schedule. We have Purdue, which is not like a super like sexy name, but has been decent uh, in the past, in the last couple of years when they've been healthy. Um, so those help 
Uh, Army, I think, is a bigger draw for uh, non-football reasons um, than your average, uh, you know, group of five or yeah, group of five school. So I'm always supportive of that series. Um, but yeah, I, I, I get wanting. Uh, it's t- it's not the easiest balance to strike between like a winnable series that makes sense for you for Syracuse and also one that's going to excite fans. But um, I, I I guess UConn just doesn't really. It definitely doesn't do the latter part because, like, some of the lowest attended games we've had, I think, in recent years have been the UConn games at the Dome. So, yeah, ultimately, it's better than like having to scramble in like the summer of 2021 or whatever, like what we've had to do in the past, than and just kind of getting things settled. But uh, it's not the it's not the ideal, um, and maybe we're just too harsh at this point because we're so in it on the scheduling thing. But <laughs> um, and we should just be happy that we scheduled winnable non-conference teams, but. I also don't love like treating UConn like a like a peer program at this point, and that's part of just being from Connecticut and whatnot. When they're really not at this point in uh, in the two programs' uh, trajectories. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I, I think it's bad enough that we that we give you know Western Michigan the one for one treatment, um, and, and and like you know what, doing that with a Mac school isn't even like that rare anymore. Um, I know like Miami's done it with like Toledo. Um, I know that like Missouri's done it with Toledo and some other schools. Like, so as much as I'm annoyed by the one for one aspect of Western Michigan, like it is what it is, but UConn again, like needs us more than we need them in, in, in this situation. Um, 2022 aside, because yeah, we were really kind of between a rock and a hard place. Um, but every, uh, all the other games, like we could absolutely do something else um, or at least get a two for one. The, 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 the second road game makes no sense to me. And but we'll see. Again, maybe we're just jaded about all this. We're definitely jaded. I, I don't think that's a question. It's just a matter of like if we're like have a legitimate point here or not. And I think we do. Um, what do you think we're doing with this uh, 2024 spot? Like, who are we? What what Power Five are we playing that year? I would almost guarantee we're not doing anything with it. Uh, I mean, so I, we're doing I something. We're doing something. I, uh, where do we think we end up? What, what's your official guess? Um, well, the thing is, the only schools that count left are BYU and Washington State. Um, if I'm BYU or Washington State, I'd rather play each other. Um, yeah, I mean, play us. Both of them. Yeah. So realistically, um, there is no penalty. Uh, well, there, there, there's no documented penalty for missing it. Um, so I feel like we're just not going to do it. And that's like, you know what? If, if that's honestly what the result is, then fine. Or if like an army like randomly just starts to count um, for this case, fine. Like that's great. Because then, sure, we don't have to play Power 5 program. We're in a better situation to go 4-0. Um, at the same time, like if for some reason there is some sort of penalty, I would hope that we find a way to avoid that issue going forward. If there, if there's like all of a sudden a penalty and we're the first ones to, uh, to, <laughs> to get it, it'd just be perfect. Like it would just be so good. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's totally right. Like why would Wazoo or BYU make a trip out here? Uh, or us, or or even pay for us to go out there when they can just like make a much much shorter trip for each other. So, right. Granted, BYU time. could play both of us. That's true. Like, get yeah, BYU has that flexibility. BYU wants to play us, to be honest. Uh, yeah, because there's the the Mormon connection in upstate. Yeah, like, granted, there'd be more things than like. Well, I, mean, I have my own issues with them in terms of like. I mean, I would it's say not as like bad as Liberty. Yeah, they're like a rung below Liberty on the problem scale. If you gave us a home name and it's BYU in 2024, and then maybe we do the return trip in 27 um, or, or later when we don't already have a road game road scheduled, um, or 28 where we have nothing, uh, I think that'd be okay. 
I, I wouldn't I wouldn't hate it. Um, it's not like my favorite potential team to play, but I also think like Liberty is a lot less like normalized than BYU, for lack of a better word, at this point. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. So yeah, I guess my official prediction on twenty twenty four is that we end up with neither. <laughs> And we somehow yeah. end up scheduling whatever staff Scott Schaefer's on again. Oh, that'll happen. Although I feel like he's just like, I feel like he's just there at, at Middle Tennessee now. Like I don't because because they're not because they're not good enough for him to like upgrade the job. And I don't necessarily know if he wants to either. No, after whatever mysterious thing happened at Maryland with him, he might just be kind of content coaching a defense and just hanging around for a while. And you know, more power to him. I still want to find out that story because I feel like there's something there. And I feel like it actually reflects well on him. Oh, it, yeah. It, I mean, it, if he made the right decision for his health. And also, like, it might have worked out better for him that he got out of Maryland when he did. I, I wouldn't doubt it if what happened at Maryland and what was happen- and what ended up coming out as happening had something to do with him leaving. That'd be interesting. Like, yeah. Like, like this the, is, the, again, that, all speculation. Yeah. All speculation. No like, that, that's, yeah. That's the story I, I would want to know is like, did he ha- like, did he have a feeling that something was iffy and decided that it was for the best to go elsewhere? Yeah. But, definitely be interesting to find that out at some point, but I, not I like he would ever tell us. <laughs> yeah. He definitely wouldn't tell us. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know. That's like, there's, there's, the whole like uh, honor amongst thieves in the coaching profession that I don't know that we'll ever find out, but it would certainly be uh, be an interesting one. Agreed. Uh, Dan, anything else before we uh, wrap it up for this week? No, very relieved by last night's win. Uh, you know, happy we were able to squeeze in a podcast here on a, a lovely Sunday afternoon. Uh, hope everyone is uh, getting ready for the NC State game. And also uh, lacrosse, fun, fun Friday. Yeah, we uh... looks good. Jay Scanlon looks good. Um, the women's team looks great. Um, both teams managed to score 21 goals in their respective um, home opening wins. That was great. Looking forward to uh, to what should be some exciting seasons from them. Um, hope everybody is enjoying the NC State game on Tuesday. Um, be sure to rate, review, subscribe to Troy Noon's Napsley Podcast on iTunes, on Megaphone, on Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Overcast, whatever other service you use to listen to podcasts. And go orange. Go orange.